Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I am a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here. So we are doing our live stream of our podcast series, Raw, Interviews with Alcoholic Women. So we do these once a week. And as Next Step participants, you get a front row seat. And this was something that was started just exclusively for Next Step as a way for us to to connect during COVID. And now it's grown into this this big, amazing, amazing thing. And I'm really grateful to uh, get to be a part of it and to have you all here. So today we have on Melissa. I'm super stoked to have you on today. Uh, Most of you guys know Melissa from our, our noon meeting and our noon Tuesday meeting. She has been one of our very, our very early mentors. She has been a mentor from, from the beginning. I think she was probably the first mentor that I ever worked with as a staff member. So she's been super involved with, uh, with helping with next step and also, um, as a sponsor. So I know that she sponsors, a plethora, many of women, uh, many who have come through Maggie's and many who have come through next step and some who are currently are in next step. So I'm super grateful to have you here. And if you could just start off by giving us a little bit of background of information about yourself and what led you to getting sober. My name is Melissa. Um, I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is 12, 10, 17, which is a side note crazy because y'all I had three years last week and I had no idea. Like I didn't even notice. Um, and any other time I've been in recovery, well, I won't say I was in recovery. Any other time I've, I've been sober, it was like counting down the days. You know what I mean? So it was crazy that it was like Friday or Saturday. And I was like, oh my God, I had three years on Thursday. That's wild. So that's been amazing. But basically my background, I had a pretty normal childhood. My parents got divorced really early, but um, I started drinking 15 and I immediately had that allergy. Did I have the mental obsession? No, but I immediately had that allergy and I started, my mom is very, very overprotective. So funny story. I went to treatment the first time that I got drunk. (laughs) So I had had like some behavioral issues before that point. It wasn't just like randomly, she decided to send me away, but yeah, like I, my first drink, I went to treatment. So I've been in and out of treatment centers since I was 15 And that has been the biggest blessing, even though it was like very traumatic. I think as an adolescent, like trying to figure out life, going in and out of treatment centers all the time, it's also been the biggest blessing because all my sponsees now, (laughs) I get all the relapsers, (laughs) you know, Um, I think I have one girl that I work with that has not relapsed. Right. But every other girl I work with, it's like in and out, in and out. And I am so blessed to know exactly what that's like 
So I have full confidence in God and like full confidence in my experience when I can tell them like, you know, not what to do, but you know what I mean? Like I can give them advice that's like suitable because <laughs> I have so much experience in that area. But basically, and my sponsor and I have talked about this a lot. I went in all these treatment centers before I was an alcoholic. Right. So I kind of grew up around AA and I thought I knew everything about AA. And then when I did develop full blown alcoholism, it was like I had been in, a, in and out of AA for like six years when my drinking actually got to that level. And so I didn't believe that AA worked at all. I was like, I've done that a million times. I can quote the big book. <laughs> so I thought I knew everything, which wound up being a huge issue, right? Because number one, that was my excuse. Anytime my husband was like, you need to do something about your drinking. I was like, well, I've been in AA for all these years and it doesn't work. Right. But finally, you know, I got so desperate I was so alone and so helpless and so powerless that I decided to go to treatment um, again. And that was like something I had never said I would do. I mean, full blown body and mind, right? Total cycle. And I think in my head, I thought, well, nobody knows I look okay externally, but like looking back on it, that wasn't the case, right? I was a complete mess and like everybody knew it. I had no friends. Nobody wanted to invite me over or go out with me or anything like that. Um, my husband and I, we had called up, we were engaged at the time we had called up our wedding, but we were still living together because we had a lease together. So it was like a total mess with him. Um, very, very toxic relationship. And my friends wanted nothing to do with me. I called my mom, like, can I stay with you? And she was like, you know, you can't stay here. She's like, I'll, I'll let you stay here for two or three days. And then, but you have to find somewhere to go. And I was finally ready to go back to treatment. Was I ready to work the steps and stop drinking forever? No. <laughs> um, but I was lucky enough that I went to this treatment center, got out, found my home group, found my sponsor, um, worked all the steps, right? Because for me, what my thing had always been is like, since I had been in and out of AA and all these programs, like I knew what to do right? I knew what to say. Um, I knew what I was supposed to do, right? And it wasn't that I was directly lying to anybody about being ready to quit, but I still had reservations about being sober for the rest of my life, right? Um, so even though I was doing all of these things that people were telling me to do, there was still that notion in the back of my head that like one day I'll be able to drink, right? So I hadn't had a true step one experience, even though my drinking had gotten very, very bad, I'm a very violent drunk, but I was never a daily drinker. Okay. So I held on to, oh, I don't drink in the mornings. Oh, I don't drink, you know, every day. Right. I held on to those little details um, to try and differentiate myself from you people. Right. <laughs> I mean, but the fact of the matter is, I'm waking up full of remorse from the things that I'm doing when I'm drinking, and then I'm going out and I'm getting drunk again. Right. Um, and my husband always used to say, if I drank like you, I would never drink. And I like couldn't process that statement. I say this all the time on Tuesdays at Maggie's because it blows my mind how I was not able. I remember him telling me this and I it's like my brain wouldn't compute what he was saying. Like because my brain was like, of course you would drink like if you drank like me. And now being recovered and my mind is sane around alcohol, I'm like, oh my God, I understand exactly what he was saying, but I could not get 
how he would think that he wouldn't drink if he was me. So anyway, I worked the steps um, with my amazing sponsor and then I decided to drink again. But the cool part about that, it's like, I always have one more in me. You know what I mean? It's the cool part about that was I was out for a month I'm an external consequences girl. I make a mess of everything when I drink like night one, like it's bad. As soon as I start drinking, like stuff hits the fan. Um, But the funny part about this last go around was like, I'm not, I'm trying not to cuss. Stuff didn't hit the fan. Like my husband didn't leave me. My friends were like, whatever you're drinking. That's kind of weird because we haven't seen you drink in a while. I like, it wasn't externally bad. And that gave me a chance, I think, to really observe myself because <laughs> I wasn't so concerned with like, oh, my God, I just got arrested. Oh, my God, I just kicked out this guy's windshield. Oh, my God. I, you know, it wasn't all these massive fires happening everywhere. And so I actually had time to sit with like, who are you? Why are you doing this to yourself? And that was way more miserable. And don't get me wrong. Jail was awful. <laughs> Awful, horrible, but that feeling of looking at yourself in the mirror and going, I know that like I'm smarter than this, I'm better than this, but I can't stop, right? Like I can recognize because we're not blind to it, right? Like I can see that I'm destroying my life, you know? Like it's very obvious to me that my life is burning, (laughs) but I'm just continuing to do it to myself, you know? And that part is so painful where it's like, why can't I stop? I'm not an idiot, you know? I do love these people, right? I love my husband. I don't want him to leave me. I love my mom. I don't want to hurt her, right? I, of course, I love my friends. I don't want them to hate me, right? Why am I doing this to everybody? So uh, that month was really awful, Like it was really awful. And I got to see the allergy in the body. And the cool part about this is like, I've been to a meeting in the midst of this month and I cried the whole time. Right. And I remember crying because I was looking around at all the people at my home group and I saw them happy. (laughs) And this sounds like so self-pity and I guess it was right. But at the, also it was so like impactful. And I just, I was trying to get myself not to cry. And I remember sitting and looking at everyone and being like, they're so happy, you know, why can't, like, why couldn't I stay sober, right? Because I had felt that, like, my obsession had been removed, you know, I had felt the peace that they had felt, right, when I worked the steps with my sponsor. And I just, it was like an out-of-body experience. It was really weird. Um, And after the meeting, my sponsor and I talked and she was like, you look miserable. (laughs) Um, She didn't say it that mean, but (laughs) my sponsor's Lisa, um, if y'all don't know, but she was just like, are you ready to stop? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) So guess what Lisa said? She was like, all right, well, you need more vodka then. And it made me so mad. It made me so mad because I was like, how could she tell someone that's obviously miserable and struggling like to keep drinking? How could she say that to me? And I was so mad. And I remember it was a Tuesday night and I said, I'm going to stay sober this whole week. And I'm going to come to like, come up to Lisa next uh, Tuesday and tell her that I stayed sober the whole week without working the steps or whatever. And two days later I was hammered. Right. And then the next day I got completely trashed or like the next day after the two days. So three days later, I got completely trashed and wound up going to jail (laughs) for a PI. And that was a Saturday night. 
And on Sunday I called Lisa and I was like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Like I'm done. I'm so done. And I was done to the core. And it's funny because I say, and I say this a lot, like there's no bottom Right. And that's why I don't talk about consequences a whole lot. You know what I mean? Because like we all have them. They all look different. But the fact that like I made so many times this commitment to myself, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Or I'm going to drink moderately. I'm only going to have two. I'm only going to have two. I'm only going to have two. When I really saw in action, like Melissa, this isn't going anywhere. And I truly believe that last night in jail was God just being like, girl, stop get it together. So yeah, I know that was kind of all over the place, but that's what happened. And I, you know, this time I worked the steps. I remember my first fifth step with Lisa. It was like right when I got out of treatment and I'm like wearing my engagement ring. It's like so embarrassing. Okay. Cause my husband we're married now, but back then we were like on the rocks. We had called up our wedding. We were broken up, but here I am with my ring on. I had a sweatshirt that said fiance that I would wear and like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing now. But like Lisa was just like, why are you wearing that? Like you are not engaged to this man. Like y'all are on the rocks. You've like been split up. He pretty much hates you right now. Um, She's like, you should just take that sweatshirt off and take that ring off. And like, y'all need to start over your entire relationship. You need a new relationship. And of course she wasn't being serious. Like you need to take your ring off, but I took it like that, right? So, I remember in that fifth step, we got through three people. It was like my mom, my actually, it might've only been my mom and my, I think it was my mom, my dad, and then Nick. And then she like sent me home (laughs) because we were talking about those three people for two hours. And I was, it was because I was arguing with everything that she had to say. Right. So she was planting a seed for sure. And she kept asking me like, are you ready to stop? And I kept saying yes. So she was like, okay, then I'm going to sponsor you. But, um, she told me later on, she was like, after that fifth step, like I got in my car and I was like, that girl is going to drink. Like, (laughs) um, she was just waiting, you know, but the second time around, like when I went up to her, I literally said, if you want me to throw my engagement ring in the trash, I will do it. Like, I don't care what you ask me to do. And she was just like, well, of course I'd never make you do that. But like, okay, let's go, let's do it. You know? And that's just where it all started. And we went through the steps really fast. Cause like I said, you know, I had already done them before and we worked them quickly before, but like this time it was just like, boom, go. And then I immediately started working with others and that has been a huge blessing. So here I am today. Um, hope that answered your question. I tried to sum it up quickly. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> good. Thank you. Uh, so now for the participants, if you haven't done this before, we do, um, an interview, an interactive interview. So if you all have questions, you're free to ask them because I always want you guys to know that this is for you all first before it is for anyone else. So if you have questions, please feel free to ask them. Does anybody have a question for Melissa? I have one. Hi, I'm I'm an alcoholic. Melissa, what was different? this last time with Lisa, what, what clicked in your head? So really good question. And I actually get this question a lot, right? Because like y'all I've been to rehab probably like fifth, I don't know, maybe 15 times. It's probably like 12 or 13. I, and I've been in AA a lot more than that. Right. So there was nothing different about working with Lisa. What was different was I was done. 
Okay. And the confusing part about this is that like our mental illness surrounding alcohol is so strong. And my delusions were so strong that sometimes like, like I didn't even realize that I had them, if that makes sense. Right. Cause if you would have asked me that first go around, like when I was sitting in that treatment center before I got out and started working with Lisa, I was done. Right. But looking back on it, it's kind of one of those things. That's like a hindsight thing. Right. I think what I felt internally was like conviction almost like, and not, not for the program necessarily. I didn't want to work the program even again. Like I was just like, I can't believe I'm having to do this again. Like, I don't want to do it again. You know, it was more, I know I'm an alcoholic, right? It wasn't just me going, yes, I get in a lot of trouble when I drink and yes, everybody hates me. And yes, like I'm having financial problems. And it wasn't about consequences where for me, and this is just my experience. It had always been about consequences, right? It had always been like, this is what's happening in my life. So I should stop drinking. Right. But this last time it was like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. It was just desperation um, and complete humility, right? Because I kind of mentioned this, but I thought I knew how to do AA, right? It was like, I thought I knew what Lisa was going to tell me. Like, I thought I knew it all, you know? Um, so when she would, the first time around with her, she actually told me that I wasn't allowed to say I know. Because y'all, here's, so one of the treatment centers I went to, I was there for 18 months, okay? And I was like 17 to 19 is how old I was. And they had us waking up every single morning at 5.30 or we would wake up at five and we would have this thing called EMBB, which is early morning big book. And this is how I learned the big book, right? Like still to this day from that experience, but they had us wake up, go into the like main room and we would read a page out loud. Every girl would go around and read a full page for 30 minutes. Okay. And then when we would have a consequence in the house, we would have to read a chapter of the big book out loud to somebody that was listening. Okay. So first of all, horrible thing to like use the big book as punishment. It was weird, but I had like every line in that book memorized. Right. And the crazy part about it is I didn't know what any of it meant, but I thought I did. So my level of humility working with her that first time, she literally had to tell me, Melissa, you're not allowed to say, I know. Cause every, t everything she would tell me, she would like tell me something and I would go, I know. I know. And it wasn't like an arrogant, oh, I know. But it was like, I know. Yeah, I know that's bad. Or I know that that's going on. You know what I mean? So she finally cut me off one day and was just like, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know anything, <laughs> you know? Um, so you're not allowed to say I don't or I know to me anymore. Um, and the second time I was just completely humbled. Like I was done. You know, it wasn't I know. It wasn't oh, this is what she's going to tell me. Oh, this is like how they do it. It was, there was none of that. It was just, I don't know anything. And like, I'm screwed. I'm totally hosed. I'm glad that you uh, touched on that, Melissa. And thank you for the question, Mandy. I kind of want to piggyback off that a little bit, but one of the things that is, we talk about it in Next Step is that whole, I know what my sponsor is going to say. And the truth is, is we we don't know what our sponsor is going to say. I certainly never know what my sponsor is going to say. <laughs> um, so what would you say to our participants who are 
that's either scared to call their sponsor or who think that they're bothering their sponsor or any of that, what would you say? Oh my gosh. Okay. And I tell this to Jessica all the time. So she's like smiling over there. It's hard to understand. You won't understand this until you guys start sponsoring. Okay. First of all, I'm a big girl. Okay. (laughs) And this is what I told Jessica too. I'm very busy. Okay. If I'm busy and like, if I'm working or if I'm on the phone with a different sponsee or something like that, like, or if I'm in the middle of something, I'll call you back. You know, unless it's an SOS and you text me like, I'm losing it. Please, please, please like step outside wherever you are and call me. Like, it's okay. I'll call you back, you know, when I have time, right? Because like, and Lisa does the same thing with me, y'all. There is a rare moment where Lisa answers the telephone, okay? And she is literally dealing with like 900 things, right? It is scary to be like, oh, I need to call her because she probably doesn't have time for me. Is like what I think a lot, right? But here's the thing, when... When Lisa calls me back, she's free then. She wants to talk to me. You know what I mean? Um, And I encourage you to think about that with your sponsors too. Like they're not going to answer the phone and just be like, oh my God, this girl, right? Number two, piggybacking off of that, sponsees and getting those calls, whether it's a 10-step call or a 911 call or like anything is literally the highlight of my day. Why? Because I'm a drunk. (laughs) Still to this day, right? I'm in recovery too. And I go through stuff where I'm selfish and I'm resentful and I am dealing with problems at work or problems in my relationship or whatever it is, right? Especially right now with COVID, like depression, like I'm bored and I'm in a funk, right? Like I'm dealing with the same stuff that everybody else is, right? So when any of my sponsees calls me without fail, y'all. It's like, this is how it goes. I'm fighting with Nick. Nick's my husband. Okay. We're fighting. We're in an argument. And I'm about to say some like really messed up stuff because I think like I'm so much better than him. Right. And I will get a phone call. Like I'm about to open my mouth and say something that I really shouldn't say. And the phone rings and it's one of my sponsees and they're calling me to talk about their husband right? And how pissed off they are at him. Yeah. And that immediately, number one, it takes me out of myself, right? I'm not in self-pity anymore. I'm not pissed off anymore because I'm focused on this woman who's calling me. Number two, the things that are coming out of my mouth are the things that are in the big book, right? I'm not just telling her like, yeah, go yell at him, right? I'm like, okay, let's think about this. Why are you angry? And guess what? That makes me think about, okay, Melissa, why are you angry? you're being selfish, (laughs) you know? Um, and so it helps everything. Right. And so that's why, like when I see the phone and the caller ID says one of my sponsees names, it's exciting for me. And that's how everybody feels about it. Spoiler alert. It's not like, Oh my God, now I have to stop what I'm doing. If I, like I said, if I'm busy, I'll call you back. But when that phone rings and it's a sponsee's name, it's like, oh my God, thank God. So I can get out of my own stuff for a while. Right. And so, you know, we say this, like when anybody ever says, oh, like, thank you. You helped me so much. It's like, you helped me way more than I helped you because like, I'm still an alcoholic that has defects and that gets in my own stuff, you know? So like that is taking me out of my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Y'all. And you'll, you'll, understand once you start sponsoring and getting those phone calls and then you're so grateful for those phone calls and then you're like oh yeah I should not be scared of this at all (laughs) 
um, some of the feedback that we've gotten um, from participants, because we we're starting to get participants who this is their first time ever working a program, ever mm -hmm. steps, ever even having a sponsor. And one of the questions that we get a lot is, how do you pick? How do how do you pick a sponsor? And then how do you utilize a sponsor? So can you tell us about your experience on how you became to be sponsored by Lisa yeah. and how you uh, utilized her now and how you utilized her in the beginning? Yes. Okay. So this is actually really funny. So like I said, I had just gotten out of that, that treatment center. It was not Maggie's. It was like a treatment center called La Hacienda. I loved it. It was great. We had pool volleyball. Um, it was a nice place, but I had gotten out of treatment. I went to PPG because I heard that PPG was like the hardcore group. And like I said, I had tried a lot of groups in Dallas. Like, I'm not going to say I've been everyone because that's a total exaggeration, but that's how I felt. I felt like I've been to all these meetings, blah, blah, blah. So I had never gone to PPG and she was there and she spoke and I could tell that she knew what she was talking about. Right. Um, I could tell that she knew the big book. Okay. Which again, I had been through a lot of AA where we read the big book, but didn't study it, if that makes sense, right? It was like, we would read it, but nobody actually knew like what it was saying. And I could tell that woman like knew her stuff, okay? So that's the first thing that I looked for. Well, I don't, I didn't think that I was, I didn't, I didn't know what I was looking for, right? So I didn't recognize that's what it was, but looking back on it, it was like, she knew the big book. And I was like, okay, that's different than my prior experience because my prior experience had just been like, la di da like make a bunch of lists and like do this weird stuff in AA, right? Um, <clears throat> I used to pick sponsors on like appearance or like, you know, you're close to my age or you're older than me. Like I had picked it on external stuff, right? But I was like, okay, I'm just going to pick someone who like seems like they know what they're doing. And then on top of it, I was still, I hadn't worked steps yet, y'all. So of course she had this little like cute sweater on and I was like, okay, she looks so cute. So I asked her to be my sponsor. And the funny thing is like, okay, so I walk up to her <laughs> um, after the meeting and I asked her to be my sponsor and she said, okay, yes. Wow. And she handed me her card and she told me <clears throat> to read the first uh, 44 pages of the big book. And she told me to call her every day. I remember saying something like my case manager told me <clears throat> blah, 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 because like I had just gotten off out of treatment. Like I was fresh off the boat and she like cut me off and she was like, well, I'm not your case manager. I'm your sponsor. So read the first 44 pages of the book and call me. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <clears throat> but anyway, Lisa's so funny because some of my friends that had been in AA and around AA, when I told them Lisa was sponsoring me, they were like, good. But now, you know, so we worked really closely together. She had me call her every day in the beginning. And I think that was just to get me not scared to pick up the phone. Right. Cause majority of the time we didn't talk about anything in the beginning. It was like, hi, I'm calling you. Cause you told me to call you, you know, but that was so important because it was showing willingness. Right. So like the first, until I was through the steps, I called her every day. Um, and then once we got to step 10, she was like, okay, you don't have to call me every day anymore. When I and this is how it still works today. When it literally is written out in the big book, right. When I'm in selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, or fear, I call my sponsor, right? I pray first and then I pick up the phone and call my sponsor. Now, sometimes, right? I don't do this. I'm not perfect, right? Nobody's perfect and does this stuff perfectly 24 seven, right? 
But that's what I aim to do is not, not be perfect, but to follow the directions in the big book. And when I am feeling any of those things, any of those defects, picking up the phone, because I will say I have enough experience in AA (laughs) and this is a blessing y'all, right? Like I used to be so mad at myself. Like I could have gotten sober when I was like 15, right? But I have so much experience not finding things objectionable and not calling my sponsor to, you know, either tell on myself or stay in the resentment, right? Like sometimes resentment and self-pity can feel really good. And I don't want to call my sponsor because I'm like, she's going to like tear this wall down. You know what I mean? And like take away my comfort blanket. And I really just want to be pissed off at Nick right now. Cause I feel self-righteous about it, you know, <laughs> and I feel like he's in the wrong. So I should get to be angry about this. Um, but I have seen, I have so much experience with what happens when I do that. Right. When I don't tenth step, it builds up. First of all, second of all, it makes it so much easier to keep doing those things. If I lie about something stupid and I don't call my sponsor and tell her, guess what? The next lie is going to be easier. And guess what? The next lie is probably going to be bigger. And then guess what? The lie after that is probably going to be bigger. So even though it seems ridiculous to be like, hey, I'm calling because I lied about, you know, what color pants I bought or whatever, you know, like something stupid. It's like, okay, well, what's the next lie going to be about? And it's going to be that much easier to just like not tell anybody. Right. And then we all know where that goes, right? It snowballs. So I think like what drives me to call Lisa so much is I know what happens when I don't like I have direct experience in not tent stepping and letting those defects just like snowball. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm cheating on my husband and I don't care. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then I'm drunk. So yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. Does anybody have a question? I was nodding along to everything you were saying because I can totally relate. So I had a question, Stephanie. Um, Uh, Hey, Melissa, um, I'm Mandy alcoholic. So my question is, what do you say to the ladies that, that have the, have had the issue with chronic relapsing? You know, we have like, what do you say about that? Cause it sounds like you have the, it took you a minute before it, it's taken myself a while too. So do you mean like, as far as how you feel about yourself or how like to approach the program or like can you get more specific so I can answer yeah, exactly what you're asking? I, I guess, I guess the, um, my question would probably be, uh, lean more towards the, your, the first part, like how you feel about yourself. Because for me, yeah. I, it, it's hard to walk back in there and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm here again. I don't know what's going to be different. I was doing everything I thought. And then Oh my God, this is an awesome question. And I'm really, really glad you asked this. Something my sponsor told me because, oh my God, I felt the same way, especially coming back into PPG because it was like, so I had been doing service work, right? I had been um, speaking with a lot of these people. And of course I didn't tell anybody that I wasn't okay. (laughs) Right. So it was like from the outside, I tried to portray that I was doing great. And then it was like, I just disappeared for like a month, you know? (laughs) And so it, it is humbling. Right. But two things, What Lisa told me, oh my God, it was so helpful. Y'all have all heard one, two, and three a million times, like through Maggie's, right? The body and the mind. Yeah. Um, And that this is an illness that we cannot control, right? We have no power over it. So taking out the idea that 
I somehow have power over this illness, right? And really, like, what the way she explained it to me was, if you believe in the body and the mind, if you understand that, you will understand that that is our natural state, (laughs) right? It is a miracle that all of us aren't drunk right now. Right. And so, cause you know, I, my experience in AA before had been like, they shame the relapser, right? Like, Oh, what happened to you? (laughs) Right. Like, what did you do? And so I was scared because just like you just said, I was like, well, I, I don't know what happened, you know? And like, at the end of the day, the answer is nothing happened. I'm an alcoholic and that is our natural state of mind. No wonder that I got drunk right? I wasn't 10 stepping at all. And I was lying to my sponsor about like shit I was doing. Okay. No, no one. <laughs> that's what happened. Right. But the real thing is that I wasn't desperate enough. It, it was all step one. Right. I still had other ideas in the back of my head, but the point is with alcoholics, it is not a surprise or a shock that we drink. Right. That is our natural habitat. That is like where we are comfortable, you know, and it takes a miracle and it takes perfect timing and total humility and total willingness. And a lot of us don't get there the first time, the second time, the third time. Right. It takes a lot for a lot of us. Not saying it has to be that way for everybody, but that's my experience. Right. It took 10 years, 15, if you count like the first time that I drank. But When you look at it that way, there's nothing to be ashamed of, right? It's like, I'm just an alcoholic that lived in my natural habitat, right? I did what I do, which is drink, you know? And that, that was such, you know, and, you know, Lisa told me who I really, really, I still look up to her, but like at the time it was like kind of an unhealthy thing. Like I shouldn't have, you know, but, um, she was just like, you know, you it's, she goes, it's, I have no idea how I'm still sober. Like, why haven't I taken a drink? You know what I mean? And that was like mind blowing for me because I was like, oh, well, I thought that you like knew all this stuff. She's like, no, it's like a God thing. Like it all has to just click. And she's like, it just didn't click for you. Like that's not abnormal. And that's what I really tried to look at it as every time I got that like shame feeling or that like, I don't want to do this because I've done it before. Um, It was like, okay, it's not about me and what I did or didn't do. It's I'm an alcoholic, so I'm going to drink. <laughs> Thank you, Melissa. Yeah, of course. Of course. Great answer. Anybody else? Okay. So one of the things, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> of but course. You were talking about how like you didn't have any friends and you know, your wedding was called off and the woman that I see today has a lot of friends and lives a very full life and congratulations on the new business. And, you know, who's just like really like living her passion and all of this stuff. How do you prioritize your recovery and, and keep God first? That's the first thing I want to ask you. Oh my gosh. Which we talked about that too. <clears throat> Such a good question. <laughs> Cause the answer sometimes is like, I don't know. I am so busy y'all. So like, just for those of y'all who don't know, like I have a full-time job, 40 hour a week job. I'm in sales. I sell radio ads. Okay. And then I have like my passion job, which is I teach dance. Um, I teach like a beginner dance class, which is, oh my God, so much fun. 
And then I just launched my own business like on Tuesday with the dance thing, right? So we've been working on that since March. So I basically have three jobs and I sponsor a lot of women and I'm in recovery, right? (laughs) So how do I prioritize that? And it's like, and, and also I'm married, right? And I also have to find time for my husband and to make him feel fulfilled in this marriage and like be a good wife and those things too, right? AA comes before, well, God comes before AA number one. Right. And so when people are like, God first, God first, it's like, it's not that hard to talk to God. You know, in the beginning it was super awkward, right? Like it was very, very awkward for me probably until I got through the steps. Right. And I started practicing step 11 on a consistent basis. It was awkward for a long time. And sometimes it is still awkward. If I haven't prayed in a while, like I'm not perfect at it. You know, it's not like, Oh yes, I have all these things going on in my life. And then I'm also perfect at AA. Like, (laughs) It's not like that. And I think this is also why I do feel grateful a lot. I remember my step one a lot. right? It like comes full circle because I do sponsor a lot. So like sponsorship is almost key in pushing me in all of these in prioritizing AA, if that makes sense. Because I hear women, right, who are like still drinking, still drunk, calling me, I can't stop drinking. Well, do you want to go to Maggie's? Do you, do you want to meet up? No, I'm not ready yet. Like I hear that all the time. Um, and it puts me back where I was. And it really motivates me like all of these other things these external things that I have gained are because of God and because of AA, right? So it's like, if I don't put that first, I'm going to lose it, you know? And that's not my primary motivation. It's like, I'm going to lose these things. So I have to do it right now. It's really fulfilling for me. But if I ever get to those points and I do trust me, everybody does where you get burnt out from AA or you get, you know what I mean? And you're just like, Oh, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to go lead this meeting or I don't want to go, you know, do this or pick up the phone or whatever it is. I really don't want to go back to where I was before. (laughs) And I, again, it's all about that step one experience. I have enough experience knowing what it's like going back (laughs) you know, and I don't want to do that again. Cause I really love my life. <laughs> um, which is like such a new feeling for me. Cause I never liked my life. <laughs> um, my whole life. I hated it. Right. Even when I had cool things going on, but I guess it's just kind of one of those things that I just know I have to do. And I just do it no matter how I feel about it. Right. And that's the key is like, if I feel like I don't want to call Lisa or I don't want to pick up the phone or I don't want to do a zoom meeting or whatever it is. I do it anyway. And then guess what? You feel really good after you do it. Um, and then it motivates you to do it again. Cause you're like, that was awesome. So hopefully that made sense and answered your question. Yeah. It's just like, it has to be a priority, you know? I do. I want to ask, uh, so for someone new coming in, um, who says, you know, God has to come first. What does that look like? Oh my God. Awesome question. What that looks like is not caring about anything else until you're through the steps. And I don't mean, cause you hear that a lot in AA, like, oh, you shouldn't date or you shouldn't do this. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that, but when it comes to, and it's hard, right? I say, I don't care. That's kind of like a facetious thing because of course we all care about everything, right? If you're like at Maggie's and you're about to be homeless, it's like, okay, of course I care like where I'm going to live. You know what I mean? But it can't be the the priority has to be AA, right? And 
no matter how much worry or fear or, oh, I have to get this done. Oh, there's all these things that I need to do. Oh my God, where am I going to live? You know, is for me, I was in like this breakup area, right? Is my husband going to be there or my fiance at the time, right? Is he going to be there? Like I need to keep him around. Like I need to worry about him and all these things. Most of us do not have three jobs and have our life together when we get sober, right? Like I didn't even have $1. I had $0 in my bank account. I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay bills? You know, it's not that I didn't care about those things. It's that I, I had to make a conscious decision. Like when those thoughts came up in my brain and it was like, oh, I need to sit down and write my fourth step. Oh, but I have so much to do is like, you know, what would come to my head. That's not an option. It, it was a choice in the moment of, okay, what am I going to prioritize? Because of course, if you need to find a place to live, that's a, that's worrisome, right? But there's a time to take care of that. If there's let's say we're awake for 12 hours. There's 12 hours in a day. I am going to get this done, get my fourth step. Let's say I commit to doing, you know, the resentment section today, right? I'm going to get all of that done today. Let's say it takes me four or five hours to do all of that. I don't know. I'm going to get that done. And then guess what? There's still six more hours in the day for me to find a place to live. It's all about prioritizing which action needs to come first. And it's really, really easy to go, okay, well, I need to find a place to live. So I need to call these places first. Okay. You can call, you have a lot of time during the day, especially in the beginning. Cause I didn't have a job. Right. So I had all the time in the world to figure that out. Right. But my first priority was like, before any of that happens, I have to do this fourth step. I have to do this reading that my sponsor gave me. I'm not, it's not that like, oh, you just don't care about anything else. Right. But it's like my focus, the first thing I take care of has to be this AA stuff. And then throughout the day, I can sprinkle in, okay, I'll fill out an online application for a job. And then I asked my sponsor for help with time management too. So in the beginning. That's perfect. Thank you. Anybody else have a question? Okay. I do want to ask this other question before I ask the wrap up. Yeah. Oh my God. Go ahead. Okay. (laughs) So we often talk about in these things about like restoring family relationships and all of this, but you know, something that we get in this program too is friendship. And so, you know, I see someone who has a lot of friendship as well in her life. How do you practice principles in your friendship? And what is it to be a friend in recovery today? Oh my God, this is an awesome question. I actually haven't thought of, I've thought about this, but it's been a while. Friendships are just as much work, maybe not as much, but the same amount of work that you put into a relationship with a guy or a girl or whoever you're in a relationship with, right? Like I put that same effort into friendships, right? And so all of the principles that my sponsor taught me with my husband, I apply those same principles, those same pieces of advice to my friendships, right? Because friendships used to be all about me, right? What can you do for me? Just like my relationship with my husband, it was like any human being on the earth that was like, what can you do for me? And everything was from my perspective and how I feel about everything. Today, I talk a lot, if y'all can't tell, like I'm very chatty. I try my best, don't always succeed, but like I go into conversations with people going, I'm going to learn something about this person or, oh, my friend feels sad. How can I help? 
right? And I approach it just like how I would approach a newcomer or a relationship. Like I'm not trying to sponsor my friends, you know what I mean? But especially like my non-alcoholic friends, like, and it's really come full circle with me when people say that like, okay, we're normal people, but we just drink abnormally, right? Um, that was a foreign concept to me because I thought I was a freak for being an alcoholic. And like, you know, they say things a lot in AA, like, oh, normies, blah, blah, blah. But like, all jokes aside, we are normal people. And so it's like everybody in the world has spiritual sickness. Everybody gets selfish. Everybody. I mean, you could see it driving on the highway, right? Like people flipping everybody off. You know what I mean? So it's like, when I see that, when I see somebody angry, when I see somebody hurting, it's like, okay, how can I help this person? right? Rather than like, oh, I just did this really cool thing. You want to listen to me and like, let's talk about me and all my problems and like things that are going on in my life. It's like, and that's, you know, sometimes what I want to do because I'm selfish, but it's really going, okay, wait, no, this person, let me ask about them. And it's, it's all God, right? It's not something that I'm consciously doing. It's like, God has changed my heart. So I want to know how my friends are doing right? Like before I didn't care. <laughs> I mean, I cared, but it was like a superficial type of care. You know what I mean? I actually give a crap about the people in my life, you know, which has been a big change as like sad as that is to say. And I, I practice the principles with them. I'm honest with them, you know, just like I am with my husband now, right? Like if something bothers me, I talk to them about it you know, um, instead of holding a resentment, I try to get understanding of what they're going through, right? I think about things from their perspective, how my actions will affect somebody else. You know what I mean? Um, and the cool part is I'm like a gift giver now in my friend group. I love giving like little gifts, like nothing crazy, but just like, I don't know. Oh, I saw this candle and like, I picked it up and I thought about you or whatever. And that was something that I always wanted to be before was like a good friend, but like, I couldn't get it together enough to be a good friend. Not saying you have to buy things for your friends, but it's like, that's the kind of thing that it feels really cool. And I still get like this weird out of body experience when I have a conversation with someone or if it's someone's birthday and I like bring them a gift, right? Cause that was never a thing that I did before, you know? So that's been really cool as well as, and you know, all those friends that like left me, they, you know, I made amends. We're all best friends again. They were all in my wedding. So there's hope there too, you know, but yeah, we didn't talk for a couple months. That's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think it's, such a, a cool thing to talk about. Um, so now that we're at the top of the hour, which uh, this has just been so great. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the comments, but there's been a few of it just telling you how amazing you are. My final wrap up question has been, if you can leave us with one takeaway where if you don't hear anything I say, hear this, what would that one takeaway you'd want to leave us with? Feelings aren't facts, <laughs> which is so cliche. And I feel like we hear that all the time, but truly, no matter how you feel about it, do it anyway, right? Like we talked earlier about like calling my sponsor. Okay, I feel like she's not gonna wanna talk to me or like I know what she's gonna say. That's a feeling, right? That's not a fact. So a lot of times I make feelings facts in my head and I'm like, this is just the way it is, right? <laughs> feelings aren't facts. Do it anyway, right? Just like, and that's how you prioritize AA, 
right? When we have all these other things going on, okay? Is like, I feel like I don't want to do this right now, <laughs> no matter what the reason is, but I'm going to do it because that feeling is nigh, I'm gonna say 100% of the time, my feelings aren't like actually what's happening in the world, right? It's just how I feel about it. Um, so pushing through that and just doing it, right? Because 90% of the time, it's like not a hard thing that I'm being asked to do, right? It's like really not that hard. Picking up the phone is <laughs> not that hard, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it is like, that's how you prioritize AA. It's like, I don't want to write this fourth step. I don't want to call my sponsor. I don't want to go do this commitment. I don't want to make coffee or whatever it is, right? But I'm going to do it anyway. So that's like number one thing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa. This was yeah, so of course. Oh my God. Thank y'all for having me. This was so much fun. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.